Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones their hearts and understand that I will love them, I will love them, while I still can. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your founder and host, and I just want to welcome everybody today. We're having some technical difficulties, and I'm not quite sure where it's all coming from, <laughs> but we'll we'll get through this. Uh, we've changed platforms here on Blog Talk, and so uh, we've got our first guest on the line, so I'm really excited about that. But before I before I introduce her, I just want to tell everybody what we're about here on uh, Alzheimer's Speaks Radio because I know we get new listeners all the time, and I, I so appreciate all of you that have come back and, and really made us the number one influencer online, according to Dr. Oz and ShareCare. So I really thank you for all being advocates and working so hard to get educated and raise awareness and, and just spread the word. At our core here, we really believe that collaboratively we can win this battle against dementia. And um, together is really the way that we're going to do that, um, by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia. We're going to be able to remove the stigmas that are attached um, to this disease and just crippling people in their lives. So, again, I thank you all for, for being part of our community here. Um, if you want to uh, call in and ask any questions, you can do that, I think, today. <laughs> we'll see how it goes at 714-364-4757. That's 714-364-4757. Um, you can normally use the chat box, and I don't know if it's working at your end, but it's not on mine today. I'll continue to try that, but as of right now, I'm not able to communicate via the chat box. So I just wanna I wanna let you know that. So if you wanna make a, a question or a comment, again, the best way will be to call into that seven one four three six four four seven five seven, and I will try um, my best to pull people in um, as we have a gap in the conversation. Um, Rick Phelps, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to join us today or not. I'm not seeing him on the line at this point, but Rick is our um, expert living with the disease, and many times he will pop into the conversation and uh, and have a voice as well. Rick has memory loss and has created uh, Memory People on Facebook, which is a social support group if you're not familiar with that. So with no further ado, I'm going to introduce our first guest, who is Judy Prescott. Judy has spent the past 25 years working as a professional actress. 
She's based in New York City and in Los Angeles, and she's performed many roles on stage and screen. And her most recent work includes episodes of True Blood, Grey's Anatomy, Cold Case, Bones, and films The Islander and Hit and Run Away. Uh, she began her poetry and um, publicity about 15 years ago in Los Angeles, where she currently lives with her husband and daughter. And Judy's book, Searching for Cece, is reflection, uh, Reflections on Alzheimer's, is really a collection of poetry, which is so graceful and gives a voice to the caregiver's inner life and just kind of provides this calmness and encouragement to all that read it. The book um, is a collection of 29 poems that she wrote over an eight-year period um, as her mother's condition progressed with dementia. And um, it's kind of her own uh, perspective as it's evolved um, through the process. So welcome, Judy. How are you doing today? Very well, Lori. It's so nice to be with you, and thank you for the beautiful words about my book. I really appreciate it. Oh, you know, I received it, and just the cover alone is just so artful. It's not your typical uh, typical book cover, um, which is one of the things that, you know, really intrigued me. And then it's just beautiful the way it's laid out with the poetry and the artwork. But before we get into your book, can you just give us a little background um, for our audience, um, maybe share a little glimpse of what your life was like maybe before uh, your mom's dementia and then how it kind of evolved. Interesting, yes. Um, <clears throat> before my mom's dementia, I was very busy working as an actor and I was um, engaged to be married. Um, and I think the first the first time I realized there was something a little bit amiss with mom was at the wedding, she flew to Santa Barbara where we got married, and on the way there was lost in the airport and um, not able to find her way. And another wedding guest happened to overhear her speaking with someone and said, oh, I'm going to that wedding as well, and let me help you. And um, when Mom was at the wedding, she was just a little reclusive and not really wanting to be out there with everybody and just unusual. And, and um, that's what put my antenna up, and I... Being, I'm a long-distance caregiver, Lori, so I, I'm in California. Mom was in the state of Maine. So I started to fly back more and more often to see what was going on, and that is the way that I, by living with her and staying with her, I started to see what was going on. And it was so different because my mother, before dementia, was very funny, um, very vibrant, she could do the New York Times crossword puzzle on Sunday in like an hour. She was just amazing <laughs> mind. And suddenly uh, something, the fear was increasing in her life, and I just saw this major change. And with that, my life changed. Um, I, I always flew to her. I didn't have a child at the time, and I stayed with her. And it just, uh, you know, as you know, it overtook my life. And I'm... I'm grateful that I had the time I did with her. She passed away about um, seven months ago now. So, oh. uh, thank you, thank you. So it, yeah, it really uh, was quite a journey. I wouldn't trade I it for anything because I've learned so much. Um, it is amazing the lessons wrapped yeah. in this disease that I think so many people um, 
choose not to look at because they're they're so afraid and they're yeah. so kind of wrapped in the loss but the the lessons are are phenomenal and um you know for me I just found that they gave me great peace. I yeah. don't know if you found the same. I did, Lori, because I think you could probably relate to this very easily, but I think the biggest thing I learned was to let go and to mm-hmm. allow my mom to have her journey and it wasn't about me and and what I wanted her to be, but she was this person, the soul was the same and I could either join her and make her life better and more peaceful and joyous or I could fight it and mm-hmm. um and fight the reality of what was in front of me. Yeah, that's my mother, but she doesn't know me. Oh well. Do you know what? She's still my mother. And after all she did for me in my life, it's my turn, right? To do for mm-hmm. her and to protect her and make sure she's safe. Number one, always worried about her safety. That was the biggest thing for me. And finally getting her in a place where she was safe and no longer afraid, what a gift. What a gift. Yeah, very, that's that's very beautiful. Can you um, tell us a, a little bit about um, how you came to write the book? Yes. Um, as I mentioned, Lori, I'm a long-distance caregiver. I'm, I'm here with a, I was with a career here and my husband, so I would visit mom, and throughout the progression of her disease at all different levels, I would stay at her house for a couple of weeks with her, and that was just so uh, sad and frightening. At one point, I remember she was in her white nightgown, and I'd have to leave very early in the morning to get my flight to come back to Los Angeles because of the time difference, and she was hanging around my ankles in her white nightgown saying, please don't go, I never intended to be alone and that type of thing, and, and realizing this is what I was leaving behind, I couldn't do it anymore. And, and little by little, I spent more and more time there till I was able to, my family and I were able to get her into assisted living and then a facility, a you know, a locked dementia facility eventually. But it really was, when I would visit her, Lori, I was <clears throat> so upset when I would come back at, at having left her that I would write these poems. And I would, I was writing them to find the beauty in what I had just done or what I had just experienced, to find the high road, to find what the gift was. So they, the poems follow that progression in terms of my own progression in dealing with the illness and my mother's, uh, you know, sort of journey into Alzheimer's. It was a great help to me to write those poems. Um, and then the artwork came about because my Aunt Petey, who is such a wonderful artist, she's one of the artists in this book, and she's the mother of the artist who did the cover that you like so much. My my cousin Anne, who's my age, did the cover, which is a beautiful piece of a half of a half of the face is on the back and half is on the front, and the back is sort of a more greenish face, medical looking face, and the front of the book is this gorgeous picture that Anne painted years ago that looks a lot like my mom, so it's just a coincidence. But Aunt Petey would go and visit my mother and take photographs of mom and send them to me to show me that mom was okay. And she began making these amazing collages cause, because she's an artist out of the photographs. And little by little I said, hey, Aunt Petey, her name is Roseanne in the book, Roseanne McPherson. And I said, how about I um, match your work with my poems and we make some sort of tribute to mom for the family. That was the idea. 
and from there it just spread out. I, she said, well, let's get more artists involved. Let's ask Aunt Sue, her best friend and first cousin, and my cousin Aunt and my brother Tom. And I, we asked them all, and they all said, yeah, we'd love to contribute. And they started sending me all of this beautiful artwork, and it made my journey and my – it gave me a little bit of community throughout this. And it made my journey easier, and that's how the book came up about. We start. I then took all the actual photographs of my mother out and just went with artwork to make it more universal because we thought that this story was something that many, many, 5.4 or 4 other million Americans were experiencing, right? So I wanted to share it. Wow. When you were talking about just building the, a community, my, I just got chills throughout my whole body because I think uh. that's, just one of the things that's so lacking, this disease is so isolating, not just for the person who has the disease, but those that love them. And yeah. it's so critical to be able to, to develop that if it's with your family or friends or strangers that you find are, are on this journey who are now your peers. Um, yeah. it, it's just, it's a lifesaver. Um, I mean, it's the difference of, of surviving and being able, to, I think, to live a full, healthy life or not. Well, for sure, Lori. And what was such a shock to me, I was very insular. I was so busy flying back and forth and being with Mom. When I would go there, I often I stayed in the facility. I stayed in the locked dementia unit with her in a room, and it was quite an experience. I knew all the people, and I learned how they think and how they live, or, or I don't certainly don't know how they think, but I knew what their habits were, and it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I became so involved with that that I didn't care take care of myself very well. Writing this book, what was so fascinating, Lori, people like you that I'm meeting now, through publicizing the book, I found this enormous community. And, you know, whether it's Lisa Gibbons' um, Care Connection or Maria Shriver, who I write for her blog, or all these people that I've met, all the interviews have given me support, people that I'm still in contact with. And it, whether where you find the support and when, I mean, I guess I was very late to find the support. I kind of went inside and did it through my art, or through my poetry and through the art of my family. But I'm... It's such a gift to have found that, and I am so grateful for it. And on my own website, I have a community page where I've asked anybody to share their story, a piece of artwork, a poem, anything, on my website, judyprescott.com, and that gives me such joy, you know, to make a community, like you said. Yeah, Yeah. and there's, um, you know, one thing that is so, I think, beautiful about this disease and people, you know, go, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, this is nuts. You know, this is not a pretty thing. But but there is a lot of beauty and there is a lot of joy. And I think one of the biggest things is being able to feel so connected on um, on such a significant level that I, I personally didn't even know existed prior right. to my mom's disease. Yeah. Um, it's just such an elevated level of connection um, and really, really helps you once you make that shift. And I mean, because I I went down the rabbit hole my fair share of times, but Mm -hmm. once you're able to make that shift, 
you I don't I just find so much more joy in the world and I'm so much more appreciative of life in general and all the little things. The big stuff really isn't big to me anymore. I, I've had a, a personal shift of really what my priorities are. Yeah. And so the big stuff is nice, but the big flashy stuff that used to, I guess, impress me um, mm-hmm. and I used to value really has very little value to me these days. And, wow. um and it makes me so happy to hear you say that because that's what I've been feeling and wondering why. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think because it really, you know, it's, I mean, for me it hasn't been a near-death experience, but I think people who go through that feel the same. You know, you reevaluate of mm-hmm. what's important, and it's it's not the stuff, it's not the flash. It gets down to our relationships yeah. and our connections. and. Being able to um, to read somebody, even in their very end stages, to still be able to communicate when others think they can't, oh, and be sure. able and be able to zone in on those things and just you know really really treasure them and feel the joy of that and the satisfaction of life is still good. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. I I agree, Lori, because I remember my last moments with my mom um <clears throat> the last trip when i was with her she, her eyes she wasn't hadn't spoken for a, quite a long time and she wasn't able to walk but mm-hmm. when she looked at me with those ice blue eyes she told me more than i'd ever heard throughout my life from her we communicated on such a high level and i just said to her i know mom you know, it, it was finding that way to hear her and understanding that she very much knew who I was in mm-hmm. her bones and in her heart and in her soul. She knows darn well who I was. And she was trying to give to me till the very last moment. And I was extremely fortunate because I had a very close relationship with the the people in Mom's facility, Hawthorne House in Maine. And the women would... Um, call me on their cell phone often if anything was wrong who were caring for mom and for some reason um it was the day after mother's day mother's day we i skyped with mom and eliza my daughter who's six for an hour and we were singing to her and talking to her and at one point she was crying in that way that only an alzheimer's patient can where it's tears don't come but your face is red and she was with us and that evening, we went to sleep, and my daughter woke up at about 3 in the morning, and I went into her room, and I thought, what is going on? And she was very restless. She went back to sleep, but because of that, I heard the phone ring. I wouldn't have heard it otherwise. I can't hear the phone in our bedroom. And I came out, and I answered the phone, and it was one of the care the people caring for my mom, and she said, Judy, your mom's having another seizure. And I said, put her on the phone. Get the phone to her. And I, they got the phone to her, and I spoke to her while she died. And it was extraordinary. That connection, whatever woke Eliza, whatever that spiritual connection is that connects all of us, I was able to be with my mother when she died. And it was a gift. So wow. there was something that we established that why the little nonsense of the world doesn't bother me anymore is I saw something greater. I saw something great in that communication I could have with my mother without speech, without the normal things we rely on. So I am very lucky. Wow. 
What a what a powerful story. And I, I so believe in that spiritual connection. I, I've had between, you know, my dad dying with uh brain cancer and his yeah. uh four and a half year journey and my mom. I mean I've just had multiple connections on that on that level that have just mm-hmm. been life changing. And um it's so sad when, you know, the doctors say they're they're not there. You know, oh my there's goodness! No, nothing you can do. Yeah. Oh my um, goodness! You know, and and that's very common, and yeah. you hate to say that, but but it's true. And you know, we have to teach people the connection is always there on multiple yeah. levels, and you know, you can still you can you can still love and have that you know those deep feelings. Um, and feeling yeah. of connectedness and engagement, um, even when things don't appear to be uh, the same on the outside. Mm-hmm. You know, with that, is there um, are, are there a couple of poems in here that you'd like to share with us? I, there's just so many that are just gorgeous, and maybe um, give us a little idea of um, you know where you were at in your journey, if you sure. remember. Sure, I would love to. I think let's start with um, a poem called Proof. And when I wrote Proof, it was at the beginning of my journey at a time where I really was at a loss and not able to find uh, what I eventually found. So it's in the early stages of her illness. I think this would explain a lot. It's called Proof. Mm -hmm. She disappears before me, silently slipping into a realm in which I don't figure, quietly busying herself with new vistas, devoid of reason. If she cannot know me, do I exist? My history is erased systematically as each neuron misfires and no longer seeks its intended connection. As the night rain displaces the dust of daily life, so am I displaced, destined to build my own boat and sail to higher ground." Wow. Where where were you at, um, and how did that make you feel to, to write that? Well, I think I was realizing that I was driving myself into the ground um, by never wanting to leave her. I had left my career. I, I really sort of sabotaged my career in a way, just wasn't able to do that. And I realized when I say, destined to build my own boat and sail to higher ground, I realized I had to save myself as a caregiver, right? I had to not feel sorry for myself and find Mm -hmm. a new way to look at this situation. I suppose that's what I was thinking. And if I go to another poem a little bit later called Vanishing, I love this poem, but it's also (laughs) me... In the struggle, the struggle that I just mentioned, let me see, Mm -hmm. Um, vanishing. Mother, I'm tired. I've tried to bury you, resurrect you, rediscover you. I'm in a magic disappearing booth waiting for the trick to end. What kind of magician would allow me to step out of the booth into a world devoid of you? Wow. And once again, I think that is that magical thinking, you know. Well, yeah, what kind of God is allowing mom to go through this? So once again, I had not yet sort of found the beauty. Do you know what I mean? I was looking oh, for 
Yeah, because uh, you know there there's that stage where we're looking for the blame and we're looking yes, for God. Yes. The, the, the justice of why would you do this to such a beautiful person? Right. You know what did they do wrong? And um, I have come to and and I don't know where you are, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But I have come to the belief. Um, you know, I, I grew up Lutheran. I'm I'm extremely spiritual. I believe in God and the universe now. But I believe both my mom and I signed up for this and Mm -hmm. that her gift to the world was to go through this and to teach me so I could teach others. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, That's beautiful. And in that way, I'm okay with the disease Uh because it's for the the betterment of the greater good and the sacrifices aren't for naught. I agree. I think that my mother, mom believed a lot. Of, she, I started writing poetry when I was very young. I was about 12 or 14 when my best friend died, Kyle McCormick. And um, she died of a heart ailment that could be fixed if she were born today. But at the time I started to write poetry, mom was always a fan of my poetry and she was always editing it for me. I wrote my poetry, but I don't think I ever would have put myself out there in this way this experience has helped me to find my voice i mm-hmm. as an actor i play lots of roles but it's someone else's voice that i am channeling through myself do you know what i mean i'm not mm-hmm. writing this language i don't have to be responsible for you know take take full responsibility for my voice in that situation my mother i think going through this illness has helped me to find my voice and a voice that can help others and the, an experience that is so unique, but not to you, Lori, or to all these other people, that I am so happy to be able to share so that other people do not feel so alone. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And, um, and, and to try to help people understand the idea that art in this way can help you and can help hopefully bring a little bit more peace to the world and to situations like this. Yeah, it's it's really interesting this this whole process because um you know, I hear people all the time say they can't believe the connections they've made and the mm-hmm. gifts of the people who have come into their life through this journey yeah. and the the strength of the bonds. Yeah. Um and I think it's because we're not talking about the weather. <laughs> we're not talking about all this superficial crap. Yeah. That, we, that really doesn't matter. We're talking about how we truly feel and we're we're sharing our struggles and our joys and this disease, if you want to admit it or not, makes you authentic to your core. And yeah. it brings out the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And when you are able to process all of this you can appreciate the good, the bad, and the ugly within yourself. And yeah. then you can also appreciate it within others. And yeah. and you're not as, for me anyway. Judgment I, goes out the window, yes. Isn't, and isn't that a freedom? Yeah, no more judgment. We don't judge others. or We look and think, huh, I wonder what she or he has just experienced, or I wonder what she's going through. Yeah, instead yeah. of judging. Yeah, it's it's really quite phenomenal, and it's uh, like I said, it's it's absolutely beautiful, and it's so powerful, 
and it's so freeing. Um, All of the things probably opposite that most people think dementia is. Right. You know, they they think it's limiting, not powerful. They think it's sad, not joyful. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they think it, I mean, you just kind of go through and it's like it really, when you're able to process it, when you're able to let go, and realize you are not in control. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you are yeah. not the ruler of the universe, you know, but we all kind of think we are. We come um, in, yes, thinking that. Yeah. I know yeah. what's right for mom. I'll do it. I can do it. Yeah. You know, I can do it better. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But Just that's so ahead. interesting because this, this um, poem, the next poem I want to read is Firefly, and mm-hmm. it's a poem where finally I'm seeing what you're just saying, that there's some sort of a gift in this and that mom was still there. Shall I read this for you? Oh, please. Yeah. Okay, Firefly. Beyond all organized thought, in the presence of extreme dementia, there exists an awareness of love, a love that grounds one, however briefly, a faint glow of better times when humor reigned and language flowed. There is a desire on a moonless night to spot a firefly, to stumble through deafening blackness to mark its winged flight. For one brief second, hovering high above the grass, it burns a love stronger than forgetting, shining in contempt of the dark. Ooh, that's gorgeous. Thank that's, you. Yeah. yeah, it's and it's so true. And, and to be able to appreciate and get excited about that little firefly. Yeah, yeah, how wonderful. There she yeah. is. Yeah. There she is. Yeah. Yeah. And and the the beauty within just that small little creature if we just slow down. Yeah. And, and um listen, listen in a new way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very very interesting. Um I just um I just feel so aligned with you. I feel like you're my my sister, you know. I, I do too. I, I can't believe it. <laughs> and but you that, just mentioned yeah, what were uh-huh. you saying? You just oh, I mentioned. Said, I don't have one, so I'll, I'll adopt I mean, you. Neither do I. I'll adopt you. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. You just mentioned letting go again, and that is the next poem that I wrote in this sort of progression or, or a little bit later was I, bon, bon Voyage, which is a mm-hmm. poem where I'm, I guess I'm realizing the need to let go. I don't think I certainly at, at this time in my journey was anywhere near it but I Mm -hmm. at least had realized that I needed to. I'll read this for you. Uh, Bon voyage. Sometimes it's better to loosen the spring line and let her float away. If the storm is that great, why keep her tethered, battering herself to pieces at the dock? Let her go. Watch her float peacefully away under a gray and turbulent sky, a last grand sail into whatever lies beyond, a graceful exit from all things measured and charted, Beautiful catch. I release you. Oh, I now I'm crying. <laughs> oh dear. Sorry. No, that is it's so it's so poignant. It's so oh. graceful and um it's just beautiful. It's just it's such a nice way to frame things and I think I think that's kind of both of our missions is to help people reframe and find the beauty in being yeah different in being individual and um you know letting people have their journey yeah 
you know, so many times we, with this disease, and, and I don't think people even realize they're doing it, but they're trying to stop people from their journey. Yeah. And, you know, and they're by, saying, I know better, right? Yeah. 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 And um, or and it comes, I think, from trying to protect and um, you know trying to say you don't deserve that, not realizing every journey has its gifts. For sure. And I think, Lori, when I I talk to these amazingly beautiful people who cared for my mother, um, they my mother gave them such joy and such a gift and. Who are we to stand in the way of what my mother is giving to people, right? Or what mom, she would do things like just tug on one of their sleeves very late in the illness while they walked by and then roll her eyes at them or, you know, make them laugh. She made them laugh. She showed them love. She always had a way. Um, I watched, I think I watched um, a film of you and your mom, your mom singing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um... I thought it was beautiful, and I think that that journey is so valid and valuable and why we think everybody has to be able to make a sentence and tell you what the date is, you know. Yeah, um, and it wasn't, wasn't me singing. Um, it was so, your mom, wasn't it? Yep, it was my, it was my mom singing because <clears throat> yeah. I do not have a good voice. But <laughs> it has, it has, this disease has taught me that it doesn't make any difference if you have a good voice because... They don't care because they don't judge. Exactly. You know, they get to a point in that disease where the ego has left the building and they are the most comfortable, loving, accepting people to be around. And it's really about the connection, the joy, the having fun. Um, My mom taught me how to play again through her disease. Yes, 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 yes. That's a beautiful gift. And that was something I didn't even know that I lost. Wow. Being an adult, you know? Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Being important, taking care of everything, or so I thought. And I didn't even even know I was, that's who I had become. Right, right. That you'd become this serious, yeah, and lost the joy and lost that ability to play. Exactly. And my daughter, my daughter grew up in the in the facilities, really, you know, in different places. And mom and she would get, in t- or different people. We called this one woman Mrs. Picky Uppies. She called her because the woman was always picking up Eliza, and uh-huh. it was so, it wasn't her mom, but it was, you know, she thought that was her grand. Or, I mean, she thought this woman thought this was her granddaughter, and sure. they they would get in. Uh, you know, little arguments, pulling dollies. It's my dolly. No, it's my dolly. You know, whatever it is, it was fun and it was a joy. And they played with her. And you know, uh, what a beautiful thing for my daughter to have understood at such a young age that not everyone is cut from the same cookie cutter, and that their life is valuable, and that well, they can, you know. Yeah. Don't you think kids? I'm sorry to interrupt. Don't you think no. kids? I mean, they're just not judgmental. They don't even think of the things that that us stupid adults do. No, we put it on. Oh, I can't take my children there. That would upset my child. Wrong. Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. They need the yeah. children. The children and the children need all that love. All those people wanting to see my daughter. Each one of them, in a way, perking up and remembering. Oh, there she is again. Do you know, yep. no matter how much time went by, that's our girl, and there she is. What a beautiful thing for both of them, yep. you know, for all of them. 
Yeah, um, but yeah, I was told, oh, isn't that depressing? Well, in my well, no, not in a child's point of view, mm-hmm. like you said. Yeah, it's um, I, one of the things I I do when I speak and I train, um, and I I can't remember the specifics of it, but I, I have a saying that you know through a child's eyes. Oh, you know beautiful. that we we as adults need to look through a child's eyes the innocence and the appreciation and just the authenticity of allowing others to be who they are without judgment because kids don't judge they you know, don't no. they're taught to judge yes they um, are yes they but, are but you know initially you know that's not who they are and um you know that's pretty that's pretty fascinating in and of itself. It's you profound, know. you know, how we could change the culture in general if we raised them differently. Mm-hmm. With a dif- you know, it's very interesting because mom would, no matter when we went to see mom, Eliza would just <clears throat> crawl up into her lap and sit there, and it was never, it was never um, a sentimental, big smiley occasion. It was just she just sat there held my mother's hand, mom would not, you know, would just, they would both be so peaceful. And it wasn't that they had to smile at each other or make faces or anything. They'd just be sitting. She was just part of mom and mom was part of her and it was understood. And mom Mm -hmm. would hold her and remember, this is what I do. This is my child. And if she would run across, she'd go, you know, or trying to tell her, watch out or, you know. But it was just very organic, their relationship. And yeah, Eliza was, would always just crawl up when mom couldn't pick her up anymore and just sit on her. Uh huh. It was great. Yeah, it's just you know. so, it's so natural. I mean, there's just no thought yeah. to it. it no, just, it just occurs. I remember my my mom used to actually watch my daughter um, when she was having um, early memory loss. Uh, mm-hmm. Danielle is 24. Mm-hmm. My mom has um, had this disease for over 30 years. Um, oh but my goodness! It, yeah, wow. yeah. She's been in nursing home twelve, and she's been in her end stages four. But um, I will never, uh, I'll never forget the discussion because my mom really wanted to babysit, and we were like, "Oh, this is kind of scary." <laughs> yeah, because yeah. who's who's really going to be watching who? <laughs> and we actually had some of those questions, but it was so important to my mom to watch it, her and exactly. to, to be able to be a grandma. And my dad um, was working evenings, and so I would bring over dinner and, you know, let them, you know, be together for a few hours, and, um, I, you know, I would come in, and every single time, you know, my mom's social skills were really good, and she knew, you know, what she could and what she couldn't do, mm-hmm. and Danielle was a little bit older, so she she knew you know, what needed yeah. to be done too, though, I, you know, it wasn't like it was late on her. And she loved, she loved, loved, loved being with her grandma. And I would come and pick them up, and I cannot tell you the numbers of times the two of them were sitting at the table coloring. And I don't oh. know who was prouder of their projects. Oh, isn't that beautiful? And, what and a they, gift you gave them both by allowing oh, that. And they what have, a gift. You know, they have been... Um, so close um, all of their life. I mean, they've just been so, so close. And it's, I, I know a lot of families say, well, you know, we can't do that and we can't trust. And, and you know, I, I understand um, some of that. Mm-hmm. but I, And I think every situation is a little bit different. 
And I think it, you know, it's about kind of being able to give people that purpose and connection is so critical. And well, yeah, you just really said, reminded me of something where I haven't thought of in years, but when Eliza was about one or she was probably, yeah, six, maybe eight months and then a year and maybe a little older, I would do a thing where I would say, Oh, Mom, um, could you excuse me? Could you just please watch Eliza for a moment? I have to I have to go away. I have to go mm-hmm. over, you know, and I'd hide around the corner in the bathroom, and I would just stay there and, and just let them be and sort of peek out every now and then. But I was trying to empower them both, you know, mm-hmm. trying to let Mom see, you know, that she could do it. And it was just amazing. She she would just care for her and and go and sit with her or kind of try to pick her up or whatever. She knew what yeah. she was doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's um it's just you know and I hear from so many people that have early onset they love their grandchildren. Oh boy, um, most you know, so many of yep. them, and they just appreciate that they love their pets. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. like the rest of us do, and so yeah. you know we yeah. have to really get to know. What are the triggers that will help help that individual connect um, and stay engaged? I mean, I really think that's why my mom is still alive. It sounds like you had a great placement where your mom was at, and, and she yes. felt really loved and connected. And I know where my mom lives. Um, you know, we had a scare with her a couple of years ago where we we thought she was going to pass, and 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 you know, we had to kind of review all the documents and the. Do not resuscitate, and the, the mm-hmm. staff is like, "Are you sure? Are you?" I mean, they were like, well, "You know," because I mean, she's their mom yeah. in a lot of ways. Yes, and, they, um, oh, that's what mom was. Yep. yep, yep. And she's just part of the family over there, and um, it that's a neat thing to happen. And I think sometimes families don't understand how much the staff can really love these people if we yeah, let them. That and is right, Lori. Oh, yeah. And if we let them, if we allow them to have a life outside of our own families, mm-hmm. right? Like for instance, when Mom passed away, the people were very um, distraught. In the they, that was their girl. They loved her, and I think it does help, Lori, just to say because I'm sure this is how you are. But especially when family goes a lot to visit or shows such an interest and so much love, then they think, oh, my goodness, that person must be very worth loving, right? Mm-hmm. It sort of trickles down. But I, um, when Mom died, I we gave a tree, um, a lilac tree or bush, to the facility. And I had a, after the funeral, the next, uh, I think it was two days after the funeral, I went there and had a memorial in the little garden yard where they had where they would we would push mom outside there and we planted the tree and had all of them come out and they were you know I wanted them to each say what they wanted to say and mm-hmm. you know because it was such a a loss for them too and they all spoke about mom and we dedicated the tree and they take care of the tree and that's their memory of Cece do you know mhm and i guess it's oh. You know, it, it was it meant a lot to me because I feel that they were my support. You know, they were my, they certainly loved mom, and they were her support, but they were also mine. Yeah, and there's a there's a fine line that that staff and and um, professionals need to learn too. That 
it's okay to um, become part of the family, but you can't replace or take over or judge the family. Exactly. And there's a there's a fine line because you know staff a lot of times will spend a lot of time and the the team you know will go what's wrong why can't this family be here and you know what what's wrong with them this and they they love this person and they see the beauty and they see the giggles and yeah. um, the the humor and you know all of those little things that family can't always see in short snippets that they're able to spend sometimes. And so there can be a little bit of um, resentment mm-hmm. of, you know, how could you treat your parent that way? I've, I've seen that many, many times. And I don't think staff means to. I think when they do that, they're really trying to protect this their precious, per- precious yeah, person. Their love. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they care for them so much. And so um, sometimes it's, uh, you know, I, I when I go and I train staff, I tell them, you know, you have to share what you see and what you feel with the families, not just that, you know, somebody's medication got screwed up and they've got a bump or they've got an ulcer, you know, or their sweater's missing, um, you know, because that's what they are supposed to report, and those things are important. But, what you know, what will really make families feel comfortable and can really build um, a huge collaboration between family and, and the communities that they live are sharing the joyful moments. Right, of and, course. And yeah, and that isn't yeah. something that, that happens a lot. Well, we were so fortunate in Mom's facility, uh, Kathy and Lori in particular, all of them, but they would tell me all the hilarious stories of what Mom did, and then and and they would also they were just so kind. They taught me. They would say, I would say, has anyone come to see Roger? And they would say, no, Roger. Um, They would tell me about the family. They said, you know, everyone's different. Some people, it's really hard for them to walk in here. Or this is, they love their mom so much, but they can't show it in the way that, you know, they taught me. They Mm -hmm. embraced these family members that weren't able to visit because they understood. They know how hard the journey is. And mm-hmm. so they helped me to learn to not judge. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that yeah. Yeah, they, they were so um, kind and and just cared for those people and were always there for the family. We were very fortunate, every family. They were there for everyone. And when Mom yeah. died at 3 in the morning, I heard there were like 20 people in a room with her. It was mm-hmm. three hours earlier in Maine, but everyone came, and mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing. And Kathy was holding my mom's head in her lap. You know what an amazing thing! Wow. You know That's... what a be- you know what a testament to mom and what a testament to them. Yeah, yeah. So. That that connection mm-hmm. of of um, people wanting you know to be to be present even in those last moments and. The other thing, I, I, I think so many families fear the the death and dying. And, you know, like you said, it was so beautiful that, I mean, you weren't able to be there in person but by phone. Mm-hmm. Um, when my dad passed, I was able to be there, and it was probably one of the most beautiful, actually serene yes. um, moments. It, it gave me such peace. Um just to be there 
and just to to know he didn't pass alone. I actually had my hand on my dad's chest, and I felt his energy go right up my arm. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Oh, it was, how beautiful! It was, and I'm and telling my brother, touch his chest, touch his chest, you know. <laughs> and and he he couldn't feel anything, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just electric. I was just oh. absolutely electrified, and it was just so beautiful. And, oh, um, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I've, I've been, yeah. Okay, oh, go, go ahead. I, you just reminded me of a poem I, d- I wrote um, about that sort of vibration you're talking about. Oh, wow. Um, shall I read it quickly? It's called Hello. Please. Um, there's a level of vibration, voice to ear, that surpasses all obstruction, an echo of synapse and bone that leaps the highest hurdle, eviscerating cannon, a sonorous yes to a life that is quietly failing, the sounding hum of a love too deep to mute. And I think that's what your father's love sounds like. It would just went flying right into your arm through yeah. his chest. Yeah, it was just it was just amazing. And when he died, our my my brothers and I really weren't on the same page. My dad had gotten pneumonia. Um and I think this is just the the power and the beauty of this whole process, even though someone appears unconscious to us. Um, they're aware of everything going on. And so when it came time, when my dad got sick, um, they wanted to, you know, they said, well, we'll give him a shot for pneumonia. And everybody in the family said, yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, no. And they looked at me like shocked, like, why would you say no? And I said, the pneumonia vaccine is not going to help that. It will bring him back to the same state he was in, and Mm -hmm. he is going to die. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he's not coming back. He's not going to be better. Yeah. And I don't think that's what Dad would want. We've had mm-hmm. talks on that. And so everyone in the family agreed um, that, yeah, Dad wouldn't wouldn't want to continue um, being in this state. Mm-hmm. And um, it would just get rid of the, the pneumonia. That was all it was going to get rid of. And, mm-hmm. and so... Um, we chose not to give him that. And so mm-hmm. he basically... Re- Lori? Lori? Lori?
Hello? Hello? Lori? 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 Lori, can you hear me? Lori? I'm on your cell. Can you hear me? You're on my cell, which means my cell is disconnected, and I'm thinking both of my lines must be disconnected. Okay, so I'm on. I'm holding for you in your queue, but I don't think the queue's working, right? I have one uh, phone on the the queue. Um, can you um, can you hear me on this phone, Lori? No. Okay, I'm just talking to you into my cell, holding the other phone to my ear. Yes, yes, and I don't think that I am live. Okay. Do you want to call? Okay. Okay. Oh, I can hear myself. On. You can? Yeah, I can yeah, hear I you, Lori. Can you hear me? I'm on your line. Can you still hear me? I'm in your queue. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay. So I don't know. It must be cut off on my other line, and this one's working now. So um, I, I'm on my cell phone, so I'm, I'm still oh, not sure if we're, if we're really connected. That's, okay. Uh, that's the this, problem. This line that I'm talking, that I called was 714-364-4757. Yeah, and it didn't okay. show up new. Do you want to okay. try calling it one more time? Yes, sure. I'll call you one more it. time. Okay. Okay. Well, sure. Okay. Thank you.
Well, if everybody can hang tight, we're going to see what we can figure out here with the show and see. I'm not sure if I'm live or not. I cannot tell. Lori? Okay, I think we're I think we are on the show. <laughs> I can hear I can hear you now on my phone. Um and my my other line got bumped. So I apologize everybody. They're using a new platform on Blog Talk and um you know, I don't know what else to tell you. But I think we're back up and running again. <laughs> again. So we'll see. Nice work, Lori. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what happened? That was like 10 minutes of bedtime there. Yeah, but you did um, a good job of getting it back, so. Well, you know, it's that whole tolerance and staying calm and trying new things, mm-hmm. all the things that the message teaches us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, with, with this disease, and I think that's, you know, normally, I mean, if I would have looked back even five or ten years, I would have been freaking out with that happening and I would have been so worried about what are people going to think and I would have been you know paranoid that it wasn't perfect and and I don't strive for that anymore that's you? a beautiful no I that's Lori I'm so happy to hear you say it because it has changed my life my mom's been gone for as I said about seven months and I'm a different person or just from the whole journey I guess a different person um, I feel very much the way you do, where nothing mm-hmm. really, uh, yes, like don't sweat the small stuff, what my father used mm-hmm. to tell me. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 I don't feel, I just don't feel the I need to impress anyone or that I need to, yes, hold myself up to that level of perfection anymore. Yeah, and it's it's nice to not, be, not worry about if people are going to judge you because if they're going to, they're going to. Um, yeah. And there's nothing that I can do. Um, yeah. You know, there's not a dang thing I can do about it. And so That's I just, sure. I don't, I don't worry. I, I worry. I, I won't say I don't worry at all, but I, I worry a lot less than I used to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot less because I, yeah. I, I also realized through this process that I worried about a lot of stuff. That never happened. And oh, interesting! I lost, a, I lost a, lot a lot of time because because of that. Yeah, and and that was uh, that was pretty interesting in in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. through that through that process was yeah. was pretty eye opening. Um, what a beautiful you know, thing! What to gain all that self knowledge? Do you know what I mean? That's a gift. Oh. Yeah, it is. I my friends call me the calm one <laughs> because I, nothing really rattles me. I, you know, and not that I don't have emotions. I have all kinds of emotions, and I I'm up and I'm down. But um, they're, I think it's in some ways training. they're yeah, yeah, yeah. They might be, um, and I think they're more intense. Too, I think my um, I think my my highs are are higher. Um, 
over mm-hmm. simple things, you know, and yeah, and, and that joy. Mm-hmm. That and that's really, really, very, very neat. Well, I I am so sorry that we had problems at the end of the road here on that's the show. That's okay. <laughs> Is there is there any last lessons or a poem, uh, another poem sure. um, or story That's a that you'd like to share? Idea. Oh, thank you, Lori. Yeah, why don't we go out with a poem that I wrote? It's the only one that doesn't have my family's beautiful artwork with it because it's a, a little bit. It takes two pages, but it is a delightful. Uh, it, it's my goal, I guess, um, was to be able to finally say goodbye to my mom. And I do that now, Lori, every day. I'm trying. It, it's quite a process. But um, she, as you know, she's with me, but it's a different thing. I'd like to read this poem in confidence. Okay. I wear, um, but yeah, and I wrote this um, when I was aware that she was going to be leaving soon. Do you know what I mean? But I didn't know mm-hmm. when. Yep. I wear a cape as I walk down the street, a lovely large cape that goes down to my feet. I fasten it carefully beneath my chin. The wind is so furious and I am so thin. Well, that is a story I'm willing to tell. The truth is quite different. I'm not little Nell. There's a hole here, you see, the size of a pie plate beneath my left shoulder. Yes, it seems this is my fate. The wind whistles through me in the key of plain C. I've tried humming and singing and slapping my knee. Nothing will stop this loud hullabaloo. I think if you heard it, you'd wear a cape too. The hole can't be filled in, no matter the angle. Mud is too heavy and yarn just a tangle. Been empty a while now, I can't say just when. I've kicked out two sparrows, a mouse, and a wren. This hole is my lot, and I'm sure you'll agree this cape offers solace for kazoo playing me. I'm open to any new options you hear of. The quickest of fixes are ones I steer clear of. The truth is, a part of me is out on vacation. To see her again would be cause for elation. I dream that she knows me and utters my name. To achieve this small feat would end this whole game. The hole would fill in. It would be a fine day. I'd hang up my cape, try to dress a new way. But for now, I'll keep whistling and searching the sky for a sign that all's well, that there's no need to cry. I'll walk, run, and stumble until I learn why. The tune that I'm playing can't fathom goodbye. Oh, that's just beautiful, and it's oh. and I love the rhythm. It's kind of a Dr. Susie. Oh, I can't believe you said that because that is why it was at a time when I was doing nothing but reading Dr. Seuss to my daughter. <laughs> that I wrote this poem. That is so amazing that you said that. I I, I actually wanted to call it Seuss Sense. <laughs> uh huh. Because it is. It was like I, I realized that brilliant man, Theodore Geisel, the way that he told his story. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, – I was channeling him when I wrote that poem about Mom. I think so. I think so. It's uh, it's very fun. Well, Judy, can you remind our audience how to how to reach out to you and how they would get your book, Searching for Cece? Yes, um, the book is called Searching for CC Reflections on Alzheimer's. I have a website, Judy Prescott, that's P-R-E-S-C-O-T-T, dot com, and um, it can be found in any outlet, any local bookstore that you have. You can find my book or order my book if they don't have it in stock. And um, I welcome you to my website. If you'd like to contribute something to my um, uh, community page, I'd be honored. And I did want to say that um, a portion of the proceeds from my book 
go to the Alzheimer's Association, the main chapter. Um, and that's been important to me. So that's, I guess, wonderful. everything. Oh, wonderful. Well, I thank you so much for being so patient and tolerant and gracious with our little flukes on the show. I have the the page now is correct, um, but the pictures aren't well. Yeah. So I'll still try to try to get those up. I'll have to work with Blog Talk and and get that figured out. But I I so appreciate you sharing your life and your story and your journey um, with your mom and your family and friends that, that participated in the book. It's it's quite precious, and um, I just I I can relate to so much of this. Um, it's 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 really quite fabulous. So I, I just again keep up the great work, and I I hope that some of our audience will will go to judyprescott.com and join her community as well. Because Lord knows we need we need more than one spot, um, and you just never know when that next special connection is going to be made between two people uh, when you're on this journey with dementia. So thank you again, and we will definitely have to stay in touch. Yes, and I'm sending love and light to you and your mom. I'm so pleased that you're with her. Oh, great, great. Well, you are considered my adopted sister. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. (laughs) Pleasure. Okay, we will talk soon. Take care, and thank you again. Bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm going to go ahead and introduce our next guest. Alyssa Rayner is an award-winning stage, screen, and television actress, and she is currently shooting the role of Fig on Orange is the New Black, which is a new TV series by uh, Genji Kohan, who created Weeds, which was a marvelous, marvelous uh, show. And she also just completed filming We, uh, let's see, Are We Officially Dating with uh, Zach Efron. So welcome, Alyssa. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. And it's actually Alicia. Alicia, I am so <laughs> sorry. Thank no, you please, for apparently. correcting me. It was, it was um, in the 70s, and they... They liked the sound of Alicia, and they liked the look of Alicia, and they put them together. So it's you you pronounced it perfectly from the page. Uh-huh. So say it one more time for myself and my audience. Alicia. Alicia. Did I say it right? Alicia, yeah. Alicia, okay. Okay, wonderful. Well, I, I'm really excited to have you here because I watched your grieving um, film and I thought it was absolutely remarkable. I was uh, fascinated and I could relate on so many levels. Now I don't know if Kate um, Rosin is going to join us. I saw that she had popped on to um, you know into my waiting room but then disappeared so hopefully she'll she'll call back in if she can but can you give us a little bit of background as to what inspired you to make the film well i want to start by saying i think what you do is extraordinary and it's an amazing service to so many so i, I feel so lucky to be here today and i feel really so honored to be asked to be here because what you do is extraordinary. And I think similarly, we both 
got to challenging situations and didn't only want to heal ourselves but to help others walk through that kind of situation. So when I was, um, essentially my story is my father was 55 and got cancer and died very, very quickly. Um, It was 10 days And when that happened, I had a lot of processing to do afterwards, and I found that people had so much trouble talking about illness and grief and death, and and I really wanted to create a way for people to have an inroad to talk about things. And one of the reasons I'm an artist and an actress is I find that sometimes it's a lot easier to talk about that film that you saw last week or that art show um, or that dance piece or that opera even um, than it is to talk about your own feelings, but that sometimes those pieces of art can be such extraordinary inroads to talking about your feelings and to processing your feelings. So that was really the goal of the film, was to have a piece that people could talk about. Um, And then from there we deepened it and it's now used as an actual grief counseling tool so we we first made it as a piece of art and it went to lots of festivals and um, it had a real life just as a piece of art and then we worked with the cancer support community um, and we worked with 10 social workers there who specialize in uh, terminal illness and grief and we created a whole grief discussion guide that goes with the film and we put it together with a journal so that people can either work in group settings um, at a hospice, at a hospital, at a university, at um, a cancer support community, or they can use it in the privacy of their own home. Um, And you can get that disc now at our website, which is www.speedgrieving.org. Okay. It's... um I, I found the the film itself amazing because I mm-hmm. I saw myself and so many others with these busy schedules and their mm-hmm. phones trying to squeeze a big grief process in and just yeah. or just having a relationship in general because it wasn't just that I mean it really made yeah. me look at my life and go whoa whoa <laughs> put that thing away yep yep. <laughs> You know, I, I think most most art is it has to be based on our lives, and and in this case, I think the the kernel for me was about something I really didn't like about myself, which is this you know this rushing, this speed with which I want to go through life, and our addiction to our iPhone or uh, BlackBerry, and and. Um, and that sometimes we the only way out is through, as they say. And in this case, in the case of grief, I think that's such a truth. And we can, those of us who are so effective and efficient, and particularly those of us who are caregivers and take care of our parents and take care of our children and work and do all these things, we have to be so effective. We have to be so efficient. And emotions are not always efficient and are not always, you know, there isn't this way to do it. 
and do it in five minutes flat. And that was one of the biggest lessons I learned as as a grieving person and with my dad and that sometimes the only way is to just be there with the person. Um, and I think, interestingly enough, it's been something that's really served me and really learning that lesson has served me as a parent because I think I'm able to be more present with my daughter having having gone through that process. And then, you know, most recently I lost my grandmother, but she had dementia for a few years and really learning to slow down and be in her world um, as opposed to my fast-going, you know, efficient world was a real gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's something else. Now, did, how how are you with you know friends and support when you were going through this whole whole process with your with your dad? You know, um, I will say I remember many years before my father died, a friend of mine um, I bumped into her on the street and her father had just died like that day and I canceled my afternoon and just um, spent time with her and sat with her and I remember the feeling of being so afraid of her even though I went against my fear and I spent that time with her I remember being so afraid of, of that grief that oh my god her dad died like my dad could die like as if it were a disease that we're catching and Mm -hmm. as i say that it sounds like the most ridiculous thing one could think but it was my truth in the moment i i really remember that feeling and i do you know one of the impetuses of the film was that i do find that many times it's really hard to talk about grief or to talk about terminal illness or to talk about Alzheimer's because there is that fear of like, oh, I don't want that to happen to me. Um, yep. And it's it's irrational. It's an irrational fear, but that doesn't mean it's not there. And um, with my friends, I there was sort of three different camps. There was the camp of people who I so thought would be there for me and couldn't deal. And I don't um I don't fault them because I really get it. You know, it's scary stuff, it's big stuff and some people just don't want to go there. Um it surprised me, but it you know I, I don't blame them. Um there were people who I so, you know, didn't had no expectation of were friends, but I, you know, not that good friends and who showed up in huge, amazing, glorious ways that made us friends for life um, and made me want to show up for them in all areas of life. Um, and, you know, there's one I can think of in particular who just took such beautiful care of me and sent me a care package and like really helped me take care of myself and um and then you know a few year, years later she, her mother died and I was able to take care of her in a very similar way and um 
And then there were people who came out of the woodwork, and these are things that I really try and speak to in the film, all three of those examples, um, who, like the dry cleaner or the doorman or people who you don't expect to really notice or care and who really bring a, a level of kindness and generosity of heart and spirit that is really remarkable and gives you a lot of hope in human nature. Um, so those were sort of the three the three camps that people fell into that I noticed. Uh-huh. Well, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's important, and I think it's nice that you realized the different camps. Um, that you had because we we need different things at different times and um, yeah, I think it, you know for me anyways it gave me balance I don't know if, if if that helped you in that way or if it was difficult to see people in different lights. No, I think you know one of the other things that the whole experience really taught me is it is a level of acceptance of everybody. Everybody's on their journey and they're where they are and they're. You know, it's really not not taking things personally, but it is it is what it is, and people are everyone's doing the best they can by the light that they have to see. Um, and I think one of the truths that I've found is that until you have experienced it, for most people, it's really hard for them to understand. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult process, and it's one of those things we don't know what to say. Yeah, um, kind of like with dementia, it's you. Know, yep. What do you say to someone who's grieving? Yeah, yeah. And do you have some recommendations for that of of what what is helpful and what really isn't? I, I you know I will I will say my personal experience was that. Um, one lovely thing to say that for me that always worked was, wow, I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh huh. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'm. I I can't know how you feel right now, but my heart is with you. You know that mm-hmm. that for me that and that's what I what I say right now because. The other thing that I have found is as universal as grief is, because we all do go through it, similar to dementia, like, you know, so many people have Alzheimer's and you're all going through a very similar experience, and yet every experience has its unique qualities because every relationship is so unique. You know, that's, for me, one of the truths of of grief is because every relationship is so unique. Um, there, every experience of grief will be unique. Um, there, and that's why there is no set way to grieve. So to accept yeah. that and to know that and to say, "Wow, I have no idea how you feel right now. I'm, you know, my heart is with you to support you, however you're feeling and whatever you need." and Tell me what you need, and if you mm-hmm. can't, that's okay too. You know, I'm here. And yeah, yeah. The person saying, "I'm here." You know, you tell me when you need me and how. 
and do you think it's important for people to check back, not just say, oh, how my good, you need yeah, me, yeah, and, yeah. And, and hit the road? Because I think that's what most yeah. of us do. I'm here yeah. if you need me. See ya. Right, right. I <laughs> and think, then we yeah. just dump it on that person instead of really assisting them through the process because, Absolutely. you know, you're just not thinking straight. You're exhausted. You know, you're emotionally drained. Um, you know, I think... And, you know, and it's nice that they've got, you know, the carrying bridges and different platforms mm-hmm. where people can, and even Facebook, where people can communicate, mm-hmm. but, yes. you know, help help out. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, if there's a friend or two that can really kind of streamline, you know, yep. what's needed and, and who would be the best fit yep. for, for the different things that need to be filled, I think was is a nice way to be able to... And I think, you know, for similarly, if you find out a friend's family member has has passed away, similar to finding out about a diagnosis, um, mm-hmm. you're there that you know that first moment. And I think when when someone first dies, a lot everybody's around, and then it's the it's the three months, it's the six months, it's the year later where. Sometimes there's still feelings that come up, and you feel like, oh, I should be over this by now. Um, I should, and I imagine in your position, it's I should know how to handle this by now. And you still need support. You still need love. You know, a year later, two years later, depending on someone's situation, ten years later, um, mm-hmm. you're always gonna, you know, there. It's never, it's never too late to say like. Hey, I'm here. And yep. how can you know? How are you feeling today? And what can I do for you today? Yeah, I know. You know, my mom has been on this journey with dementia for thirty years, and <clears throat> and she's flipping more. And I know it's it's evident. In the last two years, I've really kind of been preparing myself more for that moment. You know, where she does pass, and you can't prepare. You know, logically, we we want to try, Um, but I know it's going to be really difficult because she has been just such a huge, significant piece of my life. I I think I've made the transition with her being in the end stages as long as she has Mm -hmm. is that we are not alone and we will never be disconnected even after she passes. I mean, I really firmly believe that. Yeah. but it but it is quite the process in and of itself um you know to to be able to move forward and um and 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 go through it i I don't know how i'm gonna react i it's and you um, don't have to um, and you know one of mm-hmm. one of the things that I love about the film and the um the guide is that it's really for use not just for people who have lost someone. It's really for use for anyone who knows that that time will come. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, part of it is to help people transition into their grief process. Because the truth is, the moment you know that someone you love is dying, and the irony, of course, is that we're all dying at every moment. You know, this this life is so tangible, and and um, 
we you know we don't know when any of us are going to die and we all know that like the truth is all of us are going to die so mm-hmm. and that's sometimes really hard to wrap our head around but when you know that that is more imminent shall we say mhm you can start to you know the the film and the grief counseling guide are a really wonderful tool immediately because it helps begin to process those feelings and it's something you can keep on coming back to. Mhm. Yeah, uh, what kind of response have you been getting from people? It's been extraordinary. It's been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life when we were at festivals um you know, there a lot of people would come up to me afterwards in tears and um I think the most remarkable ones are the ones that aren't necessarily the story in the film because I think one of my concerns was, well, this is a little specific. This is a father and daughter story. And I've had fathers of daughters who were the, it's been the daughter who passed away. And, you know, she was like seven years old and he was so touched by it. He was so emotional and he he was like, I, you know, everybody on this planet should see this film. And and then I also had an experience where an older gentleman who had been with his wife for like 65 years came up to me and he, you know, I gave him a hug and he was crying and he said, I haven't grieved for my my wife yet. I've never cried. This is the first time I cried since my wife died. Um, I just hadn't been able to feel my feelings. Um, And it was lovely. That that particular screening that was at a festival, we we had someone from the cancer support community there. We had a social worker there. So the social worker and I sat down with him and we talked about, you know, next steps and um, Cancer Support Community actually has a group in his um, in his town for male widows um, who are recently widowed, and he started going to that group. So it can be a really amazing tool for people to feel loved and supported, um, and that's really our biggest goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it's um, it's absolutely incredible and I think people will be touched on multiple levels um watching watching the film um because it really takes us into how we try to squeeze things in thinking it's done kind of on a task mode mm-hmm. um and then brings it home to really that engagement piece and um, when I say task mode, that kind of gets into the cell phones and the distractions and trying to fit everything in and really gets you thinking about, you know, how how do I really how do I really want this to go down? You know, who do I want who do I want to be in this moment? Um, because I, there's no do overs. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly and. Um, and helping helping process with it. Um, now I have to ask because I and I normally uh, would have gotten clarification and I didn't, so I apologize. Um, but in one of our communications, you had referred to a CSC 
see. Um, yes. Yes. Talk to Cancer Support Community. So, and they are an amazing organization that gives um, free, 100% free, social, emotional, and psychological support to people mm-hmm. with cancer, their friends, and their family. Okay. And, and after, yeah. You go ahead. You cut out. Can you say that oh, again? What the Cancer Support Community is a organization that is 100% free and provides social, emotional, and psychological support for people with cancer, their friends, and family. So they have clubhouses all over the country. They have over 50 clubhouses. Our film is actually in every clubhouse. And Mm -hmm. they have, um, then they also have clubhouses all over the world. They're the biggest cancer support organization in the world. And they have an amazing web community as well and support on their website, which is cancersupportcommunity.org. So um, they're so fantastic, so, so, so fantastic. Uh-huh. Well, that's wonderful. That yeah. is wonderful. Are there, are there other ways um, or are, are there other um, ways that you, that you can talk about maybe distribution and how people can, can get a copy? Absolutely. They can get a copy at speedgrieving.org. Um, okay. And at speedgrieving.org, you can buy a copy. 100% of the proceeds go to Cancer Support Community. Um, So I don't make a dime off of any of it. It all goes right back to Cancer Support Community because I love their mission so much and what they do with helping helping people uh, through all phases of cancer. Um, And... uh, yeah, and you can also you can find their Speed Grieving has a website, speedgrieving.org. You can also find us on Facebook, and then you can also um, get me directly at Alicia Reiner, A L Y S I A Reiner R E I N E R dot com, which is my website, or also on Facebook. I have a fan page, um, and I also tweet, so you can also at me, at Alicia Reiner. Okay, wonderful. Any last comments or thoughts that you want to want to share with the audience at all? I would say my biggest thought is, you know, number one, um, congratulate yourself and take amazing care of yourself and love yourself for being who you are and having the courage to show up for what you're doing today and I applaud you all Um, and number two I would say if you want to check out the film I think it's a great tool for anyone it is definitely not cancer specific at all we don't really talk about cancer in the film Um, it's very it's a really wonderful tool for going through um what you're going through right now, um, and uh, and that's I would say those are my two pieces that I'll end with. Yeah, it it really is just great food for thought mm-hmm. for people um, to to watch this, um, and it's you know it's it was kind of like a, a, a voyeur. Um, 
a situation where you're where you're watching this intensity of mm-hmm. what is going on, and it's it's such a private and personal um, piece. I, I think everyone's going to be able to relate to it. Um, if they've got um, death knocking at their door or just went through it um, or have, you know, gotten a horrendous uh, diagnosis they're struggling with or if they're just going through a change. I mean, even through a divorce, um, any type of significant um, lifestyle change, I I really think the film will get people to look at things just a little differently. Yeah. And um and I think that's a really wonderful wonderful thing um to be able to offer people um to get a new perspective and get some new new insights in terms of what's what's going on in their lives and um how how they're going to process things. So I really appreciate you being with us today. And um, and I thank you so much for making the film because it is quite powerful and I know it will help many, many people in the future. Um, we should have you. I don't know if we have it listed in our resource directory, but I'll have to get you information. Oh, I would love that. Um, to uh to list it in in the resource directory because uh, I think not only individuals but I think businesses um could utilize that as well. So um thank you so much again for, for sharing uh My pleasure. Thank you so with much. Us. all the incredible oh. work that you do. It's it's really extraordinary and I know it is so deeply appreciated by many, not just Dr. Oz. (laughs) (laughs) Not just Caregare Now, but all all the hundreds of people who listen and who feel so supported um, because of the amazing work you do. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it looks like um, we might have a comment. Um, Somebody uh, living living for God is saying or taking comments, so please go ahead and type into the chat box. Um, we always welcome comments. Uh, we've had some difficulties with our technology today. So hopefully if you type into the chat box, I will actually see it. That would be nice. Um, but I can't promise because it's been a little it's been a little bizarre. Uh, so we'll see. I'm, in fact, I will open up a second chat box and just see because I have two computers going and they're both doing different stuff. On me, um, he said he'd like to call in. Please call in. That would be fine. Or she, I'm not sure which it is. So you call into seven one four three six four four seven five seven, and then just push one, and you'll get into my waiting room. Again, that is seven one four three six four four seven. Five seven. So if you can wait a few seconds here, we'll see if we get our caller. We'll see if that if that area is working in the studio. <laughs> we'll go from there. But um, have you been doing a lot of um, speaking and training on this at all, or is it pretty much just you send out the DVD and um, and the the workbook? I, I mean, I've really I've gone to some of the. Um, I actually forgot to even talk about this. So Cancer Support Community, as I mentioned, has them at all of their um, clubhouses. So when I happen to be in a city 
where they're doing uh, a night where they show it and have um, and do the whole discussion afterwards. Um, I've gotten the opportunity to be there, and the last one I went to was in Los Angeles, actually, and it was extraordinary. It was such a spectacular, spectacular night, and you know, again people related to it in surprising ways that made me really feel so lucky. One woman who um, said to me, like, wow, I have never let myself off the hook for not being there where, when my mom died because I was in the Philippines in the military and um, and I feel like I can finally let myself off the hook tonight, you know, having gone through this, um, the film mm-hmm. and guide, you know, like our the whole evening. And then she said, and it also has helped me, because she was there having nothing to do with her mother and her mother's death. She was there because she's a cancer survivor. And she said, and it also really helped me deal with my own cancer in a way and deal with my own mortality um, for in a way that really surprised me and her. So that was a huge gift for me to hear that you know, it helped her in such a deep way. Oh, yeah, very much so. Let me get the caller on the line here. Sure. Hello, we have a caller from 906 area caller. Welcome to the show. And if you wouldn't mind stating your name and then making your, uh, stating your question or your comment. Um, g- good day, ladies. My name is Michael from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, oh, hi, Michael. My- Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much. Uh, my father passed away. My wife and I took care of him um, for over two years, and he passed away from Alzheimer's. And so I've done a lot of research on it since then. Um, come to find out, and I know this is not really what you're talking about, but I think it's really important information that needs to be available out there, and maybe we'll give you... Uh, ladies, a foothold on, you know, furthering your education and your research into this. Uh, Before 1960, there was no such thing as Alzheimer's disease, okay? Uh, And I am not a doctor, but I have done literally hundreds of hours of research about this as an investigative researcher. And it appears that Alzheimer's is a physician-created disease. And what I mean by that is, for years, doctors have told us to do certain things, like don't eat butter, um, don't eat too many eggs, you're going to get bad cholesterol. Well, it seems like one of the biggest things that you can do to prevent Alzheimer's, and even in some cases to reverse Alzheimer's, is to increase the amount of what is called myelin in your brain, uh, of which your brain is 75% myelin. It is the insulator between the fluids and the electronics of your brain so that they don't misfire and cause Alzheimer's and other diseases. Uh, It's very, very important that we, you know, look at some of these things and... You know, again, as far as uh, being able to, uh, you know, help somebody that has this terrible disease right now, um, I I can only say that in my life, 
you know, having my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has been a, a real blessing to me. Well, I, thanks so much for all that. I will say, you know, for me, two things. One, one is you you so brought me back to my um, grade school science class because I remember being. I mean, I was obsessed with the brain and remembering, like, one of the big first scientific words I learned was myelin sheets, which is, you know, that coating that coats the neurons. And I remember thinking as a kid, like, wow, I have to take care of my myelin sheets. It's like, a you know, a raincoat, essentially, for your neurons, for your brain cells. Um, and I know that there, there are definitely scientists out there really looking at that and really studying how do we best take care of them um, and that is a lot of the science of Alzheimer's right now but I think you also bring up a, another interesting point about this like there were none before 1960 and um, and I, I find that similarly with um, autism I have a, a family member with autism and um, the rates keep on increasing and looking at what are the causes. And for me, there's there's two things going on. One is it really is important to look at cause. And are we, is it just that we're now diagnosing things and putting a label on things more? Or is it there are changes in our world, be it environmental, be it our our world is a little bit more toxic and how do we take care of our bodies in this world that has more chemicals in it than it did in 1960 or 1940 or 1900. But I think the deeper thing for me that I I really just want to share is I can so want to find a cause and fix it, you know, and I want to make it all better. And one of the big things about this film and one of the reasons I made this film is Yes, we can do that, and I so believe in looking for cures, and I so, you know, so believe in research and so believe in doing whatever we can. And as we look for cures and as we look for causes, it is so important that we continue to value our emotional journey through that. And that's one of the big reasons I made this film is that there's two there are two things going on at all times that we we can look for cures we can look for causes but we also have to value our emotional journey and um and take care of ourselves emotionally through that process very very true i do want to note um you know, from my research, it said not till 1960, but um, Dr. Alzheimer, back in 1901, had met um, a client, um, Augusti, um, who was a 51-year-old woman that became a, a patient of his and then um, ended up doing an autopsy back in 1905 when they really, um, that was my understanding, where they, you know, keyed the term um, Alzheimer's disease um, from that. There's there's you know many different um, platforms that people think is causing this disease, and there's lots and lots of research out there. So I, I appreciate you calling in, Michael, and um, passing on um, your thoughts um, regarding regarding the disease and sharing that with us on the show today. So um, have a great day, and again, thank you so much for for calling in. Um, any other comments that you uh, wanted to talk about at all 
before we wrap the show up? I think we we talked about a lot. I think we're great. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I I think we've done a a great job. Um, And again, I highly encourage people to go to the website, um, Speed Grieving, and um, reach out and uh, and get information. And then uh, you also have some direct contact information that you are willing to share. Do you want to tell people where they can uh, find you as well? Yes. Well, you can absolutely find me if you go to my website, which is aliciareiner.com. Um, or my fan page, Facebook Facebook slash Alicia Reiner, the fan page. Um, You can definitely reach me and find me, and and I always get back to people. So feel free. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for your time and um, taking the time to make this beautiful film that I think will really change a lot of people's lives and, and help them so much through this through this journey um, called grief. And, you know, grief is uh, occurs in many levels mm-hmm. throughout our life um, and is not always just about death. But we, you know, um, we have a lot of levels of loss, and I think that um, this film will really help you look at that in a different light and make it not so scary. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's the goal is that when we, when we have the courage to face it, um, it, the the fear goes away. You know, when you are willing to really look it in the eye and look at grief in the eye, in all of its areas, not just with, you know, straight out loss. It really can, it can really help transform you in, in miraculous ways. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, you have a great, great weekend. And you're going to be you watching too. the Super Bowl? <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. We're having a little Super Bowl party. It should be fun. Yep, yep. I think I, I always, I don't care. I mean, I'll watch the football, but I, I just love watching the commercials, you know. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. So, so fun. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, definitely. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. Again, thank you so much for yep. sharing. My the pleasure. My pleasure, Lori. Okay. Have a great day. Take care, now. You too. Bye, Bye now. Um, I want to invite people to our next Dementia Chat, where that is a free webinar platform where I interview people with dementia. That will be on February 12th. That's uh, the second Tuesday of the month. We do those on the second and fourth Tuesday. You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and you'll be able to find information on the website as well as the the blog I always post. So, If you um, haven't followed us, I would encourage you to go ahead and and follow us on the blog or Twitter um, because you'll you'll definitely will not miss uh, those episodes at all. I want to, um, again, thank Alzheimer's Disease International for just being so supportive and having groups around the world and pulling them together uh, to to help people who are struggling with dementia. uh, So many of us don't know that there are are so many different organizations out there always um, waiting for us in the wings uh, to find them. So I like to to help raise their 
their elevation and their profile because they've got some wonderful resources. Again, that's Alzheimer's Disease International. And if you go to um, our website, alzheimerspeaks.com, you'll also find some free tools that you can grab uh, and you will have access to all our variable platforms. Our next show will be, um, let's see, on the... 12th. I'm going to be interviewing, oh, I take that back, it'll be on the 8th, and I'm going to have Barbara Brock, and she's going to be talking about the clock test, um, which is a wonderful way to figure out where a person with dementia is sitting, helps families and professionals decide um, capability in terms of levels of understanding and helps people in terms of how to approach and um, we'll also have on the 12th, uh, Ron uh, Culberson, who's a humorist, and he's also the president of the National Speakers Association with us. He'll give us some great insight. And then on 18th, we are going to have the renowned Dr. Bill Thomas with us, uh, who has been driving culture change in our society for many, many years, along with a woman who does drumming that has some incredible, um, just incredible insights in terms of connections and the power, once again, of music. So please join us, and in the meantime, have a great weekend. Thank you all for being tolerant of our technical difficulties today as well. I'm sure Blog Talk will be working through those. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.